this is a recording made in the chapter of the open book and is under the covering title of Saul who also is called Paul and this evening we are going to consider his character now of course God could use and does use all sorts of characters some of them bad but one of the wonderful things about the witness of the Apostle Paul is that he could say, be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. And I feel sure you realise that that gives a tremendous emphasis to the word we preach. Of course he himself recognised himself as faulty. It wasn't he preached Paul, he preached Christ. He said we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may be of the Lord and not of men. At the same time, we can see that he sought by all the grace that God gave him to emulate and to present a picture of what it is to be redeemed by such wonderful love and such a mighty sacrifice. So I felt it wouldn't do us any harm if we were to consider his character and then consider our own. And when I say our own, I include myself, of course, I'm not talking to you or at you, I'm asking you, together with me, to consider this man and the way in which he has been put in the scriptures as a little pattern. Now, I'm quoting his own words. That God set him forth as a pattern. It says so. A pattern. So, while he resolutely set aside all idea that we are saved by Paul, he says once, was Paul crucified for you? Throws it at them. Yet on the other hand, he is justified in drawing attention to himself that he did seek to put into practice the truth that was entrusted to him. I think one of the first characteristics that you meet in the Apostle Paul is that he could never be half-hearted if he was a Pharisee, you know what it says about him? He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. If he was a Hebrew, he said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So let's notice this characteristic of his character first. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, he's writing about himself. Oh, verse We'll look at verse 13. Galatians 1, 13 and 14. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, and do remember the word conversation doesn't mean having a chat with somebody. It means a whole manner of life. That's the word, conversation here. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, <coughs> how that beyond measure, notice the words he uses, Beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. There was no half-hearted attitude there. Beyond measure. And profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in mine own nation. Above. Being more exceedingly zealous. Look at the words of the pioneer in two verses of this peculiar character of this man.
I came across a, a remark about myself once, and this particular friend said, I was a man of one track mind, and I closed my eyes, and I prayed the Lord that I might at least be like the apostle. In some measure, I might follow him a long way off, but he was a man of one track mind. When he was a Hebrew, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. When he was a, a Pharisee, it was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. When he persecuted, it was above measure and beyond belief. But the moment he was stricken down, he rose to his feet, Lord, what would I have me to do? And immediately, he began to preach Christ and suffer for it beyond all dreams. If you read the description he gives of himself, in the passage in Corinthians, the things the man suffered, the things he went through, and then he has the audacity at the finish to say, at the end of that long list of sufferings, be ye followers of me, as I am of Christ. Well, that's the man that God chose, that our Saviour chose, to be the Apostle of the Gentiles. And we have to remember that not only do we profit and should profit by the teaching that he's given, but by the example that he sets. So they walk together, the doctrine and the practice and the manner of life. And I'm sure you'll agree with me that sometimes it is that deficiency which spoils a person's witness. So we now we look at the, again at another passage. Acts 26, verse 11. We're just trying to catch some of the remarks that are here concerning this man. Verse 11. We go back just to see how, how he introduced it. Verse 9. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being more exceedingly mad against them. That's his own statement. Exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. So that at least we must say, this man, when he did become gripped by the gospel of the grace of God, was all out, no compromising, but a witness indeed. Let's take it a stage further, for I think we can all profit by it. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 6. He's giving now an account in this chapter. I won't read the chapter, but he's going over that which he could have boasted about in the flesh. So far as the righteous requirements of the law were concerned, he said he was blameless. But he threw it all on one side on the rubbish heap to be found in Christ. But the point, of course, of this passage for the moment is in verse 6. Concerning zeal, persecuting, the church. There was his zeal against these people who were 
apparently teaching that the law was passed and was not a possible means of salvation and only Christ mattered. Then, of course, he came to see that that was exactly where he himself had to stand. And in Titus chapter 2.14, Titus chapter 2.14, he's speaking about the consequences of redemption that should be manifest, so far as he can see. Look, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. What's the last word? Zealous of good works. They're saved by grace. They're saved by faith. They're not saved by anything they can do. But he says they are a peculiar treasure unto the Lord and the one thing he says about them as so far as their own expression is concerned, zealous. Well, he was once zealous for the law. Now he was zealous for the Christ of God. So, you see, it's a comfort to us that the Lord picks up his instruments and he uses them. You have your peculiar character, I have my peculiar character. And the Lord doesn't always alter it, but he uses it. And so we must respect that each one of us are responsible to the Lord himself and not try to make a whole row of seats filled with all little 40 copies of one particular person. He could use us all, just as we are. And the more zealous we are in our makeup, in by old nature, the more we may be able to contribute to the witness of the glory of God when once that is laid on the altar as an offering for him. While we're about it, we'll look at 1 Thessalonians 3.10. I want you to get this from the scriptures, uh, not merely me running through a few passages. 1 Thessalonians 3.10. He says, uh, verse uh, 9, For what thanks... Can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see thy faith, and so on. So he was a man upon whose shoulders rested such a responsibility, as he said, all the churches depending upon him, and the gospel of the grace of God entrusted to him. And the revelation of the mystery made known to him that he should be the instrument to make it known to others. And yet he can assure these folks that he prayed day, night and day. And I don't think he was using the expression that didn't have some meaning. So I think we can leave that aspect and say, well, most certainly, this man who is a pattern for us was one who was all out for that which he saw to be true. He first thought that Phariseeism and the Hebrew religion and the law of Moses was the one thing that mattered and he was all out for it. And then when he was stricken on that road and he saw the face of Christ and he heard his voice and the quickening took place, he immediately, without change, without hesitation, became the champion and the sufferer for that very faith that once 
he denied. What else should we look at him from another angle? Because this is under the beginning. As a believer, and as a preacher, whether it be himself, or whether it be for others, I think we must agree this, that the outstanding character of the Apostle Paul was that Christ was central. I've said before, and I say again, do never so emphasise dispensational truth or the principle of right division that you leave a person thinking that dispensational truth died for you. Dispensational truth is a wonderful principle, but Christ is the goal and Christ is the centre and Christ makes it even worth knowing about. And surely, if any man preach Christ as the gospel, it was the Apostle Paul and he is our pattern. Shall we see that? First of all, in Philippians chapter 3. And I'm sure you don't mind turning to all these passages because even though you know them, it's a delight and a joy to have your minds refreshed. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may have Christ for my gain. Christ instead of all the things that once stood so much in his estimation. And while we have Philippians, look at chapter 1, 21. A very short verse. For to me, to live is what? For me to live is Christ. Here's his own statement. He approaches it in the earlier verse, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to be to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Once again, look at the next epistle, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. He's speaking about the new man, verse 10. You have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. But what takes the place of all these? And they're so different one from another. What is the uniting word that makes them one? But Christ is all. And in all. He is all himself and in all those who believe in him. That's the wonder of this calling and its fellowship. Now let's think of him not only as addressing the general believer, but as a preacher. We have Colossians in front of us. Look at chapter 1, 28. Preaching is now uh, his term for the moment. 
not so much living or your manner, but what you have to say. Look at verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. Not what we preach, or which we preach, but whom we preach. He preached Christ, and the more he preached Christ, the more he explained what that meant, the more we realise that the whole doctrine of salvation and all that comes out of it is resident in that person and his wondrous redeeming work. Again, let's turn to Philippians, which is waiting for us in chapter 1, verse 18. This man is suffering from the petty, perhaps, persecution of those who sought to do him harm. Even Christians sometimes have taken that attitude, as we told. In verse 14, he says in chapter 1, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Can you believe it? That there would be Christians in the days of Paul who so preached that they would add to the misery of a Roman imprisonment for that man. But what's his attitude? But the other of love knowing that I am set for the defence of the gospel. What then? What then? This is his attitude. Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. This cuts through a little bit of what you might call uh, narrowness, doesn't it? We have, we have not, never to justify evil. But if there be any virtue, it says in the scriptures, if there be any praise, and you might have to print the word if with a large letters, if there be any virtue, reckon these things. When he said, I could make a great case against them, but Christ is preached, I rejoice there. What a man. What a picture. What an example. Christ is preached. And he said, I'll leave the rest with him. And then Ephesians, chapter 3, 18. Now, I think we must go back a little bit because we can't start. Verse, verse 14, chapter 3. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of, the, of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. What's all this for? What's all this for? You're going to entertain a wonderful guest. Sometimes, the house seems to be turned upside down and everything dusted twice and cleaned and put all ready. Why? Because 
a very distinguished friend is going to stay with us. And it's right. But what about this entertaining this friend? To be strengthened by, by might by his spirit in the man in the man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's the visitor that's coming. That's the one you're going to entertain. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now this gives you a mighty comprehension. To be rooted and grounded in love is to provide the necessary for bringing forth a wondrous fruit and a glorious flower. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height? I'm not much of a mathematician. I can add up a column of figures and make it different every time. But I do know this, that so far as we and our own personal understanding is concerned, live in a three-dimensional world. If you know the length and the breadth, and the thickness of anything, you've got all the measurements you need. But the mathematician, and especially the one dealing with the occult sciences, he speaks about a fourth dimension. And I'm given to understand, if you understand and can put it to practice a fourth dimension, you walk through a door even though it's shut. But that leaves me, I don't know where I am for that. But here, here you notice that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is breadth, and length, and depth, and height, four measurements. And instead of being baffled by that and saying, oh, I don't know where I'm floundering now, he says, it's all right, it's all right. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, but to know something that passeth knowledge, is to know Christ. That is to say, it's an ever-growing knowledge, and you'll never completely encompass it until that day when you know, even as you are known, and that will be in glory. But what a Christ this apostle had in front of him, in his heart, in his mind, in his witness, and moulding his character. And inasmuch as the apostle of the Gentiles, and calls upon us to walk in his steps and follow his example, what manner of persons ought we to be? And I don't think anyone in this congregation, not one of us, say, well, I'm very thankful I've reached that standard. But we can say, I'm very thankful God has given me the opportunity at least to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. For that's the only thing that really matters with regard to this question of character. And so we've been looking at these one or two passages. The next thing I want to say is this, that first of all, his great stress is that Christ died for the ungodly. Right there. But he has a very intimate relationship with Christ as the message develops. And it's that intimate relation, I think, we ought to be very grateful for and follow. He uses the word with Christ quite a number of times. In the epistle to the Galatians, the next epistle backwards, 
we find the first association. He says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I have, not merely am, I have been crucified with Christ. Now do notice that he links this with being dead to the law. There are those who emphasise that crucifixion was a Roman punishment. But they can overemphasize that to the covering up of truth. You notice this man immediately thinks of dying to the law. And if you look at um, what he says earlier, he says, uh, further on, he says, verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is every everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. And again he says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now you do know, don't you, that the Apostle Peter never once, never once in his spoken or written ministry has used the word cross. To some people that would be an alarming statement. But what he does use is the word tree. He bare our sin, says Peter, in his own body on the tree. Now the, it's not a Roman punishment that's in view, it's a Hebrew punishment that's in view. It's the curse of a broken law to be hanged upon a tree. So he says, I've been crucified with Christ, not so far as Rome is concerned, but so far as the Hebrew teaching is concerned, I'm dead to the law. I must stop just now, just uh, to tell you a little incident. Most of the friends know that we have a very great friend in Mrs. Billington, and she gives us an opportunity of spending a holiday with her, and as she lives in West Kirby, North Wales is waiting for us. Well, we went out one day and called in a little refreshment place at Nim to have some tea. And I happened to hear one word spoken by somebody else sitting at the next table. This one word was the word Septuagint. Right out there in Wales. So I risked being snubbed and told to mind my own business. I've got a thick skin like that sometimes. So when I passed, it was a lady too, I said, you know, I heard you use the word Septuagint. Oh, she said. I said, what a valuable but neglected book that is to the understanding of the words that are in Scripture. Well, that was between ourselves. But what I did say to her was this. You will be interested to know that in the book of Esther, the word crucify comes in the Old Testament 300 years before Christ. Now that passage is where Haman has erected the gallows to hang Mordecai. And they're telling the king what Haman has done. And the king says, hang him on the tree. Hang him on the gallows. And the Septuagint says, crucify him. Now you see, that's important, isn't it? That was known to the Jew long before they had any contact with Rome or the crucifixion. 
And so many have gone astray by making a cross into some symbol. It's not there at all. It's hanging on a tree under the break, because of the breaking of the law that the cross is mentioned. And so, this epistle to the Galatians, Paul links both. He uses both expressions, the cross and the tree, so that we shall realise that link is there. Well, now suppose if we take it a stage further. Here he says, in the first case, I have been crucified with Christ. Now when we come to the epistle to the Romans, the emphasis is that we died with Christ. That was the end. And then the epistles go on to say, we were buried with Christ. But that's not all. We are quickened with Christ. We are raised with Christ. We are seated with Christ. And when Christ who is our hope should appear, we should appear with him in glory. Seven steps from cross to glory. All with Christ. So it's not merely an outside Christ 2,000 years ago, but it's a Christ with whom we, who have come into life 1,900 years after the event, can still be reckoned by God to have died with him and been raised with him, one day to be literally seated with him. What a gospel. And we owe it to the instrument that God chose that that should be particularly stressed in Paul's epistles to us, poor outsiders of the Gentiles. What a message to give to anyone. And so, what a character this man was, both in his life and in his ministry. I just want to make sure about other features before we finish. I think most of the friends know that I was taken off my guard this evening, as you can see at the back here a picture, I was hoping to deal with that, but because of my inability to make things known that I should have done, I've had to switch off tonight to take this other side. I'm sorry, but you understand. I have a mind like a sieve just now, and I, I forget more things than I remember. But uh, perhaps you're going on the same direction, friends, so you won't criticise me too much, I don't know. Now then, let's look at the example that he has set us. Turn once again to Philippians chapter 3. This man, this character. Philippians chapter 3, 17. And he doesn't hesitate to call attention to his character. He doesn't say, oh, I don't think I better say that. I think I'm boasting of myself. He didn't worry about that. Let them think it. I have been set as a pattern as well as a preacher. So he says in Philippians 3. Brethren, verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me. Now he says it. Be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Don't be worried about an end sample. That's old English. 
we use example instead. It means the same thing. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their belly whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. Now he comes back to us as an example for our conversation once again, manner of life citizenship our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change this body of our humiliation. The word vile has a different meaning today. There's nothing wicked about this. It's the same word in chapter 2 where it says, <coughs> well, the same former word when it says Christ humbled himself. He didn't make himself vile in a wrong sense. So he says who shall change this body of our humiliation that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So you see, he, he didn't hesitate in a silly spirit and say, oh, I won't point to myself. Inasmuch as he was a follower of Christ and set as a pattern, he drew attention not only to the words he preached, but the life he lived. Oh, that we could do the same now in the fourth chapter, verse 9, is another very extraordinary statement. Supposing we look at verse um, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things, but rather a truer rendering, impute these things. He's talking about your attitude to your brother or sister in Christ. He says, if, if there be any virtue, reckon it. You may have to look carefully for it, but seek it. And those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now that takes a tremendous backing for anybody to say that with truth. I couldn't stand up before men. I couldn't stand up and say those things which ye have both learned and received and heard, and seen in me do, and, as a consequence, the peace, God of peace, shall be with you. Not merely the peace of God, but the God of peace. Oh, what an instrument this was in the hands of the Lord. How closely he must have walked with him to be able to say that, you see. So there it is. That's in chapter 4 and 9. Now, if you'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. In the, earlier, in the earlier verses, that is to say at the end of chapter 10, verse um, 31, where, where, Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, give none offence. I often link those together 
in that way. There are some who by nature would do all to the glory of God. And if they offended everybody, well that's their lookout. But this man says, do both. Do all to the glory of God, they give none offence. All that needs the grace of God, they know how to thread your way without compromise and yet remembering the other man is the same nature as yourselves and needs the same grace that you do. So he said, give none offence, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the Church of God. But he can say the next bit, friends, he can say the next bit, this is it. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So he can now say, be ye followers of me. But he doesn't stop there. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So this is the pattern. This is the man that the Lord chose to be the apostle of the Gentiles and receive the gospel of the grace of God and ultimately the dispensation of the secret which had been hid but now revealed. And just one or two, about two more passages and I'll be finished. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 16. It says in verse 15, For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. It's written in the scriptures that we should have Paul as an example. It's not really I think it's right, it's there for us by the will of God. And then in um, the first of Timothy, and then that will be our last reference, the first of Timothy 1.16. The first of Timothy 1.16 How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me as a first one Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Doxology. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's the man drawing attention in that wonderful context to the fact that still he was set as an example, an example for us. So I feel that we may have profited, I hope we should, if we turn aside once, not to look at the treasure in the vessel, but to look at the vessel that was chosen and to realise that in the hands of God they both go together. He could have preached the gospel to our spirits without ever meeting anybody, but he has chosen to send preachers to preach and give places where you can hear it and let us be thankful for those who in any measure approximate to this wonderful type, Saul 
who also is called Paul.